0: Hello, and welcome to a special episode of Right Now with Ralph Martin. As always, we will be hearing spiritual, practical, and theological insights from Ralph—insights into timely and important matters in the life of faith. But this week, Pete Barak is joining the podcast to host Ralph. We hope you enjoy this discussion about not limiting the Holy Spirit dealing with roadblocks in the spiritual life, what to do about confusion continuing to come from the church's shepherds. Let's dive in!
1: Welcome everyone to another conversation with Ralph Martin, I'm Pete Burek, and we're here in the studios at uh, Renewal Ministries, our very humble but grateful little place here. And uh, we had so much fun with our conversation last time, and people seem to be blessed by the the topics and the areas that we were able to cover. We thought we'd do it again, so we're back. You ready to go? Well,
2: Ready or not, here we go. <laughs> yeah.
1: You're sitting there, the mics are on. Right. Yeah.
2: Thing, right? We, we trust the Holy Spirit to help us. All
1: right. Well, last time I kind of got you off with a bit more of a softball, we talked about your prayer life. We're not going to do that this time. We're going to dive right into the deep end, if that's okay.
2: And you haven't given me any indication about what you're going to talk to me no, about. Well, so yeah. I'm, we, to, I'm totally trusting the Holy Spirit.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Well, Elizabeth and I prayed and we planned and we want to start with this. Okay. So, um, there's a new documentary out on Hillsong, the church, that became famous largely because of its music and its evangelical fervor and planted churches all over the world. And, and I don't necessarily want to dive into, uh, well, we're going to talk about cult personality and some of the things that how the world kind of can seep into something that's good and from the Holy Spirit. But one of the things that became uh, clear about Hillsong was it was often characterized as being very with it very um, connected to the world, kind of meeting the world where it was and trying to draw them into the gospel, when, the best case scenario. Mm-hmm. So let's start here. When, when scripture tells us to be in the world but not of it, what does that actually mean? Well, it means that
2: you need to not withdraw from people in the world and from the structures of the world unless special circumstances would indicate that or a special call. But it means that you need to be very, very careful about not taking on the mentality, the values, the culture of the world, insofar as it's not harmonious with the values and the principles and culture of the kingdom.
1: Yeah. So, playing that out, the things that Hillsong was often seen was clothing choices, worship styles, music, um, even luxury goods like. Some of their pastors ended up with vehicles that were gifted to them from some of their, their mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. lavish vacations, all these things that in one, from one angle, you know, being able to evangelize celebrities, they need the gospel too. Mm-hmm. But at the other side, the, the saints seem to paint a slightly different picture of being able to still speak to the kings of the world, but not necessarily get drawn into the court of the world. Yep. How, how have you... I mean, you're, not, uh, you're a public figure in many ways. People, you're known around the world in different ways, and I'm sure there's been temptations and different opportunities that have arisen in your life to say yes to some of the accommodations of the world, saying, how have you navigated this, this responsibility to still walk through the doors that the Lord opens for you without necessarily getting caught in the pomp and circumstance and the opportunities that can come with that?
2: Well, I think coming from
1: the Catholic culture and Catholic tradition has really been a help. Mm. You know, I
2: I grew up in a very modest family with not a lot of money. Uh, I you know I've always sort of like had simple tastes. I've never been attracted particularly to you know expensive cars. so I was just grateful to have a car, you know. And and our first cars were very used, and we used them for a really long time. And. Sure. Uh, And then there's just been a greater emphasis in the Catholic tradition about simplicity and poverty. And I'm certainly not living in poverty, but I'm trying to live in simplicity. And so, uh, and also community. You know, being in relationship with other people. I feel like from the very beginning of my conversion, when I was a senior at Notre Dame, uh, I've been in a small group with other people, and where we're trying to open our lives to each other and open our lives to the Lord. And so, I think all of us need to be in close relationships where we have brothers or sisters who if we feel like we're getting off the track can say hey you know wait a second you know are you drifting here or you know or something kind of getting a little out of balance here so i've always had that and i just think that that's always been a help um i just also feel like you know once you know god um just nothing else really uh is that impressive Hmm. you know so you know, probably it's part just natural too, not supernatural. But I'm not, I'm not impressed by glitz. I just, I'm just not. You know, and I, I think there is a, you know, Saint Paul did say, "I'm all things to all people," so some may be saved. So Paul tried to meet people where they were. I'm not sure it meant a change of clothing. I suspect that he wore clothing that was common in the time type of thing, but he tried to understand people's mentality and he tried to speak to them in a way that could possibly open up the door for them to be able to hear what he had to say. So I think we should all do that. We should try to understand who we're talking to and where they're at. Like like St. Paul did, like in Acts chapter 19, he came across a group of disciples, he must have felt something was missing, and he asked him a funny question, he said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Now he must have, there's some visibility, there's some signs of the Spirit's presence and I think he must've felt like those signs weren't there, whether it was joy or love or, you know, kind of a praise or whatever, you know, it wasn't there. So he says, how were you baptized? And they said, well, we were baptized by John the Baptist. So Paul said, okay, now I know where you're coming from. So actually John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus. So let me tell you about Jesus and you need to follow Jesus now. And so he prayed with them, baptized them and that type of thing. So. Uh, Paul was trying to find out where people were at, and then he was trying to speak to where they were at. And so I think that's, that's really the most important thing. I think once you're trying to adopt the style of the people you're trying to evangelize, there's a danger of that style becoming and it's something that overshadows in a certain way the, the spirit of the message, you know, uh, the, uh, the simplicity of the message, the uh, radicalness of it. And you could start like celebrating the glitz in a certain way, you know, and, and more than or along with Jesus and n- nothing should be along with Jesus. So I, I don't know. There's just some initial thoughts. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the other things that I mean, you and I have both been blessed by even some of the music that has come out of. Yes. songs. some well, yeah, of the songs that have little, come out yeah. clearly Fantastic. Yeah, it really dr- has drawn us into a deeper relationship yes. with the Lord, created environments of empowerment and different things. Mm-hmm. And the church has a rich, rich history of of beauty, art, music, mm-hmm. and it, some level of enculturation to yeah. try to meet people where they are, yep. find common ground, draw them deeper, connect them with the Almighty, all of that. Mm-hmm. So I guess my question is, Is how do we as disciples kind of do a heart check as we navigate that? So and how do we not kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater? Where And what I mean by that is there's a way at which certain music can elevate our soul. Oh, yeah. But also can elevate our emotion. Yeah. Emotions aren't necessarily bad or good, right? There, There's a certain neutrality to them that yeah. we have to discern with the spirit and how we react to those. Mm-hmm. So could you just kind of talk about... Because where I want to go with this next is somewhat of the charismatic dimension of the faith, Mm -hmm. which can often be accused of being hyper-emotional, just creating an environment to kind of rev people up but not give them any real meat. So how have you and how would you recommend us navigating this, keeping in tension the fact that a song can elevate the spirit and make us feel something that's worth paying attention to without becoming a slave to that or actually worshiping that or holding the emotion in a higher value than the encounter with the lord
2: yeah well i'd say when you when you're in a good relationship with the lord and you you can recognize his voice from your relationship with him and also from his objective teaching you're in a good position to discern whether music is helping you move to a greater surrender to the lord or whether it's just titillating the endorphins in your brain you know type of thing or you know so i I feel like discernment is possible Uh, I say all through Christian history, uh, there have been people who have used popular music styles to communicate the Christian message. You know, St. Philip Neri in in Rome did that, and St. Francis of Assisi did that. And so, kind of drawing on musical styles of, of the time is certainly something that can be done in a way that works, you know. And so, I think a lot of Christian music, contemporary Christian music, does that. I think every now and then I'll, I'll hear a song that seems like it's revving up feelings and emotions in a way that isn't serving the surrender of the heart to the Lord or serving the confirmation of truth in the mind type of thing. So I think you know, it needs discernment. But I'm personally very grateful for contemporary Christian music, I think. It really helps a lot of people, including myself, really turn our minds and hearts to the Lord. You know, the definition of prayer, we lift our mind and heart to the Lord. And Christian music can definitely uh, lift our mind and heart to the Lord.
1: When you're when you're preparing for a talk or anticipating we have the gathering, the Renewal Ministries gathering. Yeah. Often at the gathering, Saturday night tends to be a, a more robust experience of the Spirit, mm-hmm. great music, great worship, prophetic words, like more tangible, physical, outward signs of God's movement that we believe and often, not always probably, but often are tied to a interior disposition that the Lord has been building mm-hmm. for years or even in throughout the conference, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But as you prepare for something like that, uh, how cognizant of of the emotional component of it are you? Are you thinking like, are you checking your heart to say, as if I say these words, it's probably going to rev people up, and therefore I want to change how I say it, or I want to be careful of how I say it? or Are you even aware of that, or are you more just kind of saying, I'm, I can only really control me, and I'm going to try to just follow the Spirit and be as obedient as possible to what the Lord has for me in any given moment, and if I cry, I cry. If I laugh, I laugh. If I feel nothing, I feel nothing. Where, where do you feel in that?
2: well if i'm just participating that's that's exactly how i would take it but if i'm leading it that's what i want to get okay if i'm leading to it i would take some concern about what's going on with people Mm -hmm. and quite honestly in a charismatic setting you're going to have some people there who are looking for a certain experience they want to repeat something they experienced in the past or they're hoping they fall over or you know they're hoping that they get certain sensations type of thing i'd be a little careful about uh Kind of revving things up you know the type of thing i would try to kind of give some guidance to people maybe in some of the things i said so i think it's it's a, it's a fine line between feeling deep emotion towards the lord which is good mm-hmm. uh, you know we, sh- we shouldn't have just a cerebral relationship with the lord or whole being should be in awe of his majesty, just like, uh, you know, the the 24 elders in the book of Revelation throwing down their crowns and prostrating themselves. uh, And then all the Psalms talk about, you know, make a joyful noise to the Lord. So being excited about Jesus is a good thing if the emotional excitement doesn't kind of start to overshadow the relationship response that's being made. Mm -hmm.
1: And there's that That passage, you probably know the exact verse where Paul says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14. Yeah, yeah. that you may prophesy. So there is a way that we desire the Lord Mm -hmm. and the the power that he can give us and also recognize that that may have an external manifestation. Oh, yeah. So how do you teach people in that to say, okay go after the Lord, go after what he has for you, and this is, many of the things he has for you are external expressions of the spirit, whether that's prophecy, mm-hmm. physical signs and wonders, healing, all those things that are clearly scriptural, that are clearly within the tradition of the church. Mm-hmm. So how, how would you teach people to live in that, that boldness, but also prudence, I guess?
2: Yeah, well, did we make a distinction between those charismatic gifts for ministry and the sanctifying gifts of the Holy Spirit for sanctification. So I wanna make sure with people that they're mainly focused on sanctification, their own union with the Mm -hmm. Lord, their own growth in virtue, their own growth in discernment and all the different virtues. And then out of that, uh, ask God to give you all the gifts that he wants to give you to serve other people. So it's like the horizontal and the vertical. So I wanna make sure that the vertical's there in a really strong way. Uh, as a as a foundation for the horizontal, the uh, the, the charismatic manifestations of the spirit, I, I would also say that some of the some of the charismatic manifestations of the spirit are for the interior too. Like Paul says, you know, I pray in tongues more than any of you, and I want you all to pray in tongues. And he who speaks tongues speaks mysteries unto God. So there is a like a supernatural gift of speaking in tongues that uh, is releasing kind of d- depths of our being to the Lord in, in a language that we don't understand type of thing. So it's it's a what, what, what I try to t- tell people is that we don't want to limit the Holy Spirit in any way whatsoever. We want the sanctifying gifts of the Spirit. We want the contemplative infusion of the Holy Spirit. We want the charismatic dimension of the Spirit. And, and unfortunately, in the church, today, people are saying they, they kind of choose on the basis of personality types or something like that. Well, that's not my personality. Well, the Holy Spirit's for every personality. Yeah. You know, and, and so, I'm just hoping that people can embrace all the work of the Holy Spirit, everything that the doctrines of the Church of Spirituality say about the Holy Spirit, everything the Scripture says about the Holy Spirit, everything that Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, you know, I just hope that we can just welcome it all. Yeah. We need it all.
1: Yeah, we do. Yeah, and because we cannot be holy without the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm, right? and we can't go on mission right. without the Holy Spirit.
2: Yeah, we need power from on high, and unfortunately, I think so much of the church today is a little bit like the disciples were before Pentecost.
1: Hmm.
2: You know, some of the best Catholics we have today are well-instructed, they're Orthodox, they celebrate the liturgy with reverence, uh, they've been well-catechized, they they could defend the faith, but there's something missing. What's missing is a certain fire or a certain enthusiasm or a certain joy that leads to being a witness for Christ, that leads to testimony, it leads to evangelization. So Jesus, you know, the disciples before Pentecost were the best catechized people who ever lived. (laughs) Uh, They had the the most fantastic spiritual director that anybody ever had. You know, when James and John wanted to call down fire on the Samaritans, Jesus said, no, guys, you gotta mature. (laughs) discern that, yeah. Yeah, 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 you know, type of thing, you know. Uh, And then when they, they wanted to do mission, he said, Uh, they had the best apostolic, you know, pastoral supervision and being sent on a mission and had to come back and explain to Jesus what they did and he'd kind of give them guidance. But then when all is said and done, after three years of the best preparation anybody ever had, Jesus said, it's not enough. You need to wait in the city until you receive power from on high. You need to wait until the promise of my Father comes to you and then you'll be my witnesses and you'll preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins in my name here and throughout the world. So there's a lot of Catholics today that are orthodox, that are liturgically correct, that are well catechized, that can defend the faith, but they're like pre-Pentecost. They, they, they don't have the fire, they don't have the joy, they don't have the zeal to, uh, to bring the gospel to other people. So I think the whole church needs a new Pentecost, and I'm not new in saying that. Every single pope, Mm-hmm. Since Vatican II has cried out to God for a new Pentecost, we still need to do that because we need we need more. We need the Holy yeah. Spirit more than ever.
1: Yeah. What would you say to somebody who say, Well, Ralph, I'm baptized and I'm confirmed. I have the Holy Spirit. Well, like Paul, like Paul said to Timothy, stir
2: up the grace within you. Mm. Yeah. You know, fan into a flame the gift you received when my hands were laid upon you. So a lot of people are genuine Christians, have the Holy Spirit through baptism and confirmation, but aren't exhibiting the fruits of of those sacraments. Like when you read the Catechism of the Catholic Church and what it says about confirmation, and you compare it to what people normally experience when they're confirmed, there's a big gap there. You know, like uh, the Catechism says confirmation is the way that Pentecost is perpetuated in the Catholic Church, Pentecost. Kind of and then it talks about the fruit of the sacrament is being willing to be a public witness to Christ. You know, having such a confidence in the truth of the faith that you're willing to actually be a public witness. And as we know Pete, you know, so many confirmation programs now when when the kids get confirmed, their parents say, "Oh, you don't need to go to church anymore." Just like, "We're not going to church anymore." It's graduation. Yeah, you've done the last thing you need to do, you know. And it's 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 a it's a terrible aberration, you know, I mean, it's, it's a contradiction of the sacrament. And St. Thomas Aquinas says you can have a validly conferred sacrament, but it not be fruitful right. because of the lack of proper personal preparation and disposition.
1: Yeah, I mean, you could even, I think you could even call it scandalous. It's scandalous. You know, in yeah. the sense of that, and it it almost is a mockery of God, because here he is it's giving this, this, this institution, yeah. To to do something real in the heart right. of his people, right. and then when it doesn't happen, yeah. who's to blame? Well, well, I guess it didn't work, or it's not really very important, or yeah. it's not real, and all yeah. that. And it's like, no, there's the Lord's. It's not the fault is not with the Lord. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's with the people of God. It's with the catechists, It's with the yeah. disposition of the heart of the yeah. the person being uh, confirmed. Right. And right. and that I mean that is really. Yeah, I mean, for all the sacramental renewal we're seeing in in lots of different places, it would seem to me that the fervor to reclaim the the liturgy Mm -hmm. that we're seeing should also be applied to the fervor to reclaim confirmation.
2: Right. No, no, I I totally agree. I think it is really a scandalous. It's like the elephant in the living room. Mm -hmm. You know, we we say one thing is happening in the sacrament, and we don't see it in many, and oftentimes, and we have to, somebody's got to ask the question, why is our theology of the sacrament not seemingly being actually experienced in practice? You know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's that really dramatic moment. I've been, I've been the confirmation sponsor for several kids because of teaching and different things. Mm-hmm. And there's that moment where the bishop turns to the pastor and says, "Father, are these yeah. are these men and women ready to be confirmed?" Mm-hmm. I mean, the answer is always yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I have thought oftentimes of like. Is that answerable to the Lord? Like, are, are these men and women really ready? And we can't stand in judgment from our standpoint to know the hearts of right. each of the people. But it would seem that the, there is a tangible. One of the things I wanted to focus on is, there's, see, in the New Testament, whenever somebody comes alive in the spirit, there, there is a difference. Yes. There's a tangible, kind of measurable, you were like, you were this way, and now you're this way.
2: Right. There's some visibility to the receiving of the Holy Spirit. You, you can see the difference between for, before and after. And um, sometimes it's the expression of charismatic gifts, sometimes it's praise, sometimes right. it's brotherly love, sometimes it's zeal for the Gospel, but there's always some visibility. You know, every time in the Acts of the Apostles when a new group of people come into the, the, the faith, the apostles are looking to make sure that they experience the same thing that they did on the day of Pentecost. That's exactly the wording. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. When when Paul preaches the gospel to Cornelius and his household, and while he's he's talking about Jesus, the Holy Spirit falls on them and they begin to speak in tongues and prophesy. And then Peter gets into trouble for doing this, he baptizes them. Yeah, right. You know, you're not supposed to baptize Gentiles, you know. Yeah. And, and, and he gets back and he gets into trouble back at headquarters and say, you did what, Peter? And Peter says, well, you know, while I was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on them. And I remembered what the Lord himself said that, uh, the ho- you know, that the Holy Spirit will, will will lead you into all the truth. And people will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus himself said that, you know, and um, that's what happened. And right. uh, so they, they stopped complaining and began to thank God, you know, type of thing. But there's, there's a certain... There's a certain evidence that, that happens, you know, from receiving the Holy Spirit. You know, some pro- Protestants say, if you don't speak in tongues, you haven't received the Holy Spirit. We don't say that. That's not true. Yeah, right. But uh, there's there's got to be some... Increase of the sense of the presence of the Lord, or some increase of the desire for the Lord, or some increase for the spirit, uh, the, the Scripture becoming more more alive to you in some kind of way. Some understanding, and desire to help other people experience the good thing that you just experienced.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Galatians five, the fruits of the Spirit manifest. All those fruits can't mm-hmm. just be internal; they are right. lived out. You right. know, yeah. you're kind when you're able to be kind right. to somebody. You're good when you're able to choose good and yeah. you know be virtuous. One of my favorite changes is in peter you see him before pentecost can't seem to string two sentences together half the time in the new testament he's constantly trying to figure it out Mm -hmm. wrestling with what's going on should we build tents you know all these things Mm -hmm. right and then after pentecost one of the first things he does is he interprets scripture yeah. Like, where'd that come from? Yeah. You know, the whole time before, he couldn't understand any of it, it seemed yeah. like. And then he stands in front of the crowd, he's quoting Joel and yeah. Psalms and, yeah. that, and put, bringing all the pieces together. And yeah. that's one of my favorite things that when somebody comes alive in the spirit, it seems to be very common, is the Word of God all of a sudden is alive. Yeah. And not only is it alive, but there's like a hunger to read the, the good news. And I think one of the reasons we see such a biblical literacy in the church right now is because if you're not alive in the spirit, you're probably not disposed to reading the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God.
2: Right, right, no, absolutely, Yeah, no question about it. Uh, You know, in Luke 24, Jesus one more time explains the scriptures to them. (laughs) He says, you know, the Psalms, the prophets, it all points to me, let me show you why it does and how it does. So that went into their heads, but it didn't all kind of come together uh, until the Holy Spirit came down. And then all the formation they received Kind of got got illuminated, yeah, right. you know, you know that type of thing. Like they had a, a background there, but it needed to be inflamed, you know. It Needed to be integrated by the Spirit. It needed to be uh, translated into uh, the gift of preaching.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, not that long ago, you were uh, interviewed by Matt Fred. On yeah. Matt Fred, we highly recommend that everybody go check out that interview. It Was awesome. Uh, it covered a lot of different topics. But at one point, you were kind of sharing some of your own journey with the Lord and holiness, and you talked about how you had been leading in the renewal for years, but there was a a deepening that happened as you discovered some of the the, the profound teachers of the faith, Mm -hmm. whether John of the Cross, or Mm -hmm. Teresa of Avila, and all that. And what what struck Elizabeth and I is just this reality of kind of like, you were walking with the Lord very intimately, and He was working through you powerfully, and yet as we know, we talk about, but to to hear you say, there was more. There was a deepening that wasn't that wasn't necessarily even very experiential or fun because it was so deep and rich, it led you in many ways to writing The Fulfillment of All Desire to help more people access this. Mm-hmm. Could you just kind of talk about the, the reality of um, often the Lord feeding us with milk to, to get us prepared for the, the hard foods, the, mm-hmm. the meat, that he, but, but that he wants everyone to get there. Yeah. That even the charismatic expressions are wonderful, are needed but are still part of a deeper process of transformation yeah. that the, the lives of the saints and the teaching of the church really can inform a greater depth
2: yeah yeah well I think one of the one of the things we all need is periodic reminders that there's more mm-hmm. because there really is more for everybody. And there's a tendency to reach a certain point of stability in your life where things are working well, there's balance in your life, you're carrying out ministry that's working well, type of thing. And you tend to feel like, I, I think I've reached the level that I can reach and I think this is good and it's okay, that type of thing. And one of the things that reading these doctrines of the church do is you just kinda of say, No, wait a second, there's more <laughs> yeah. the 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 Lord has a deeper union, you know, for me, for us and you know, somebody just sent me a interview that Father Mike Schmitz did with Bishop Barron, yeah. where the interviewer was asking, you know, are you reading any books that's that useful? And, and Father Schmitz said, well, I'm actually listening again to the audible version of Fulfillment of All Desire, because one of the things it does for me, and he says, I've done it six or seven times. And he says, one of the things it does for me is show me that there's more. And I think, honestly, we all need to be reminded that there's more because it's a tendency to settle in where we are, and, and and it could be a very good place where we are, but there's even better places. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Which which doctor of the church said that the one of the primary reasons people don't progress past Mansion Three or whatever is yeah. because they don't even know they can.
2: Right. Yeah. Teresa of Avila said, "There's no." She she divides the stages of the spiritual life into yeah. seven mansions and. She's talking about the work that the Lord's doing in our soul, our interior. And she says, there's no reason why people get to Mansion 3 or 4 where there's basic stability. You're no longer falling into serious sin all the time. You're, you're praying, you're you know, living your family life in a you know, decent way type of thing. And she says, there's no reason why people who reach a basic stability in their Catholic life, which a lot of Catholics have, can't go all the way to Mansion 7, which is like the heights of union with God. And she says, the reason why people don't oftentimes is that because of a lack of knowledge, a lack of desire, a lack of determination. So the kind of knowledge he's talking about is both self-knowledge. Don't you see how much more the Lord can do in you? Uh, don't you see that you're not transformed enough? Don't you recognize what's still there under the surface? And then uh, lack of knowledge about God, lack of knowledge about how good God is, how great God is, how holy He is. Lack of knowledge about His will for our sanctification. Lack of knowledge of the fact that we won't be able to enter heaven until that transformation is completely accomplished. And so, so many of the saints, John of the Cross says, it's so much better to uh, be transformed here on earth than wait for purgatory. Because if if we 're more and more transformed here on Earth, just think of the good we could do. you know just think of the blessing we can be to other people, just think of the freedom we 're going to have in our own life and then she also says a lack of desire. you know a lot of people just don 't have much desire for God, you know and so she says, if you don't have desire for God, ask God to give it to you, and he will so honestly, this is really important because people reach kind of roadblocks in their spiritual journey feel like well, I'm too distracted or I'm too weak-willed or I'm too self-centered or whatever or too like comfort too much and I just don't think I can make any more progress and so she says ask God to increase your desire and he will and uh, and he will you know and then she says if you lack determination, She says, unless you're really determined, you're not going to make progress. But then she says, if you lack determination, ask God to increase your determination, He will. So every time we we hit into what we think is the the roadblock for us or a dead end, uh, we we qualify for divine welfare. You know, we recognize our poverty level. You know, we now qualify for help from above because we've reached the end of our own ability. Mm -hmm. And the Lord wants us to know that He wants everybody to never think that that you're finished, that there's always more, and God can bring you to that more.
1: What What would you say to somebody who would classify maybe the charismatic dimension of the faith as really primarily for, for lack of a better term, mansions one, two, and three, or to kind of get you out of the purgative way, that the charismatic realities that the Lord does is more of to get somebody going, maybe to help them down the first few roads, but then you're going to mature into a a deeper sense of the Lord that maybe is characterized by, you know, some of the things you're just describing. Could you just describe how you because of the way you're laughing you wouldn't obviously wouldn't characterize it that way how would you describe the charismatic and this contemplative and this kind of deepening of holiness and awareness of sin all the things that the doctors of the church talk about how do they work in harmony how does that all fit together
2: well look at the lives of the apostles look at the lives of the saints what you have is profound union with the lord and profound manifestation of spiritual power Hmm. i mean the two go together you know so as we grow in union with the lord the charism should grow in purity and power you know, we, we should be more in tune with the Holy Spirit so he'll be able to get more powerful prophecy, more powerful words of knowledge and words of wisdom, more powerful faith, you know. And so th- these these things that work together, and that's that, that false division that I, I really think is, is, is weakening the church and, and dividing the church. We can't be divided into contemplatives and charismatics. We need to be contemplative charismatics. Yeah,
1: right, right, right. Yeah, it's like a false dichotomy, yes. that if one is true, then the other isn't. No, no, doesn't.
2: I mean, all those things are supposed to be working together because it's the same spirit. <laughs> yeah, what, right. are yeah. what are we doing? What are we doing? He's saying, chop the Holy Spirit in half, you know? Yeah.
1: yeah. Dave Mangan, who was you know, one of the early, uh, early charismatics, the part of the yeah. renewal, the Duquesne weekend, mm-hmm. was my math teacher at Father Gabriel Shard High oh, School, yeah. and used to have this great line that I thought, just classic Mr. Mangan, he used to say, when the Holy Spirit's giving out gifts, when the Holy Spirit's doing something, I'm getting in line twice. <laughs> it was kind of like what what it, I think he would describe it as kind of the epitome of pride to come to the lord and say I'm willing to have you work yeah. as long as you work this way or this gift, yeah. these gifts are not for me yeah. because I'm I'm too shy or I, right. I don't yeah. sing well or I you know I would never speak in front of somebody, or right. whatever we would classify yeah. he just said that's actually pride yeah. that's not humility that's pride to no. to tell god what we does, we should receive is that's not. That's not. That's not good.
2: No, that's really good. That, that's a good, very good point.
1: Yeah. So since the last time we talked, shifting gears slightly, because I want to be uh, cognizant of your time. Uh, since the last time we talked, and also the readers. Yes, and the the, l- the, the, listener. viewer, yeah. the listeners.
2: Uh, yeah Patients.
1: Yeah. Well, they can skip ahead if they want to, right? <laughs> yeah. Watch it on double speed. Uh, uh, since even the last time we've we've done this, uh, even more confusing things have come out of our shepherds. Um, mainly, we'll, we'll center this on Germany. In, in the, just even in the last couple weeks, there's been several different statements by high-ranking officials, both in the German Bishops' Conference and in, in Europe at large, that are maybe as bold and direct and clear, not in the good way, but clear as to yeah. what's actually going on yeah. in, in their minds and in yeah. their, their strategy. Yeah. Um, you've talked about it in different places, but as you sit here today... Where is your heart in relation to some of the stuff that's going on? And what would be the the encouragement or maybe the um, the warning you'd want to give the people of God as to what's coming out? Yeah. Well,
2: I, I did a video maybe a month ago called I Never Thought I'd See This. And a lot of people have seen the video. But what I never thought I'd see, uh, I've seen more now.
1: Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's accelerated even yeah, more. Yeah. yeah.
2: Like it started with, Cardinal Hollerich, who's the Archbishop of Luxembourg, uh, and Luxembourg is primarily a German-speaking small little country in Europe, saying in an interview, somebody asked him, what do you think about the Catholic Church's teaching on homosexual relationships being sinful? And he right out said, I don't believe it. And we need to catch up with uh, sociology and science. We need to uh, change the catechism. I honestly never thought I'd see such a high-ranking church official come right out and confess his unbelief. And uh, what I thought I'd see is I knew a lot of people didn't believe it, particularly in the area of sexual morality, but other areas as well. I think the virus of universalism and laxity about sexual morality kind of go together. I think a lot of these people feel like. Nobody's going to go to hell, and so why cause stress for people
1: by inviting them to do something that the culture really is encouraging them to do? Do you think not to not to break your flow, but do you also think that is tied to the the clear statistical lack of belief in the Eucharist too? Yeah, I think all those things go together. You know, all, all those things that go
2: together. There's there's an underlying failure to understand the holiness of God mm-hmm. and an understanding unbelief in the Word of God and um, it's being replaced by the spirit of the age and the, the mind of the world. Yeah, right. So anyway, Cardinal Hollerick goes on and says what he says. I, I knew there was a homosexual lobby in the church. I knew that there were a lot of people sympathetic to, let's not say anymore that this is sinful, or if we have to say it's sinful, let's kind of pastorally tell people they don't really have to pay attention to it and they're okay. I, I honestly didn't think that anybody, such high ranking would come out point blank say I don't believe it we need to change the teaching then of course another thing that happened since that is that Cardinal Marx celebrated what he called a queer mass for a parish in Munich that's been ministering to LGBTQ people for the last 20 years and we know that parishes that are devoted to LGBTQ ministry with all the the flags and everything are probably not I'd say certainly not calling people to repentance and chastity. They're sort of a welcoming place for people who are living in homosexual relationships and feeling like that's okay. And then he came out with an interview that took like a big interview in Stern Magazine, which is like a leading German news magazine, where he came right out and said that the catechism has to change and that uh, loving relationships by people in homosexual relationships are okay. But then I think the worst thing happened from the current president of the Bishop's Conference, Bishop Batsing, who again in an interview said, look, nobody's living sexual morality, so obviously we have to change our teaching. Not
1: just homosexual, he, he just means in general. That's
2: what he said. He made a general statement about the church's teaching on sexual morality, and he said, nobody's living it, and obviously we have to change our teaching, which is like sort of a crazy thing to say by a successor of the apostles, you know. Crazy thing to say by somebody in such a high position as the head of the German Bishops' Conference. And I actually think it's not only scandalous, but it's wicked. It's actually encouraging people to a life of sin. It's actually encouraging people to stop fighting the battle for chastity and purity. It's encouraging people to say, oh, hey, high-ranking church people are saying it's okay. So it's, it's covering sin. It's, 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 it's confirming people on the broad path that leads to destruction. And that, that's really, really evil. I mean, that's really, really evil. And I think we're seeing some very open advocation of, of people Committing serious sin that scripture and tradition, in the catechism say will exclude them from the kingdom of God if they don't repent.
1: Well, it reminds me of the several warnings that Jesus gives leaders that uh, about if you lead one of these little ones astray, yes. I mean, that better for a millstone to be put yeah. around your neck and thrown into the sea, or be careful if you want to be a teacher. Yeah. You know, like there's all these, yeah. these very clear warnings from Jesus that to either by our words or actions lead somebody to choosing sin yeah. and accommodating it or validating yeah. it or affirming it right. celebrating it whatever right. you want to say is a, is a grave offense to yeah. the lord
2: no i actually thought of that exact same scripture passage this morning when i was thinking about this uh, woe to you who cause little ones to stumble better that a millstone was tied around your neck and you're thrown into the depths of sea that's pretty strong language from Jesus, you know, and I think it's appropriate to get angry about people who are leading people to sin. We can't be their judge only God is their judge. But I think we can say, objectively speaking, what these people are doing is really wicked.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it needs to be needs to be identified as such, called out in the ways that are appropriate for our position. Yeah. You know? Right. Like we like it's not that you can go into Germany, Ralph Martin, and you know, grab the guy by the scruff of the shirt and say, <laughs> "Change your tune," you know.
2: Yeah, I hope the Lord inspires somebody to do that.
1: Yeah. So, but that's that's my follow-up question, and maybe where we can end on this is the it, it's within the right of the people of God to see this stuff, and if it comes across our desk, to yeah. I to deal with it, to learn from it. Yeah. But then, generally speaking, what is your posture of what do we do about it when? Um, you know, you got a, a grandma in Tennessee who's listening to this, or a businessman yep. in New York, yep. or a, where across yep. the spectrum, um, somehow the our, our peace needs to be maintained because Jesus is still Lord. Yep. And yet we do have some way we have some recourse of to action right. too. You we know, do.
2: Yeah. I actually included a chapter in my book, *A Church in Crisis: yep. Pathways Forward*, called *The Time for Action*, hmm. where I tried to give some practical guidance to people who run into false teaching in their parishes or in their religious education program. I say we do have a responsibility when somebody is saying something that could lead people astray to uh, address it. We need to address it in humility. We need not to presume that necessarily we've heard the person right. So we need to go to the person ourselves and say, you know, father or deacon or whoever, you know, last week when you said this in your homily, it seemed like you were saying something that's different from what Jesus says and what the church teaches. Was I hearing you right, you know, type of thing. And the priest may say, oh, gee, I'm really, you really got that impression yeah, from what correct. I said last week? Right. Uh, no, I didn't really mean to say that. Well, I think, you know, actually what you said led people in that direction. And then the priest might say, well, do you think I need to correct it? And we might say, yeah, I think you do, Father, I think some people got... A wrong idea from what you said and you really do need to clarify what the truth is in that area on the other hand the priest may say yeah you heard me right and you know it's just a matter of time before the church changes his teaching in this area so you know' we're, on, we're <laughs> on the cut, we're on the cutting edge get on the right side of history yeah right. but then we shouldn't leave it there we, we should actually go to the bishop because the bishop needs to know what's being taught so boldly and so clearly um, in a particular parish how you know, people are being led astray. And now I, I also mentioned in the chapter that the bishop's not gonna be happy to hear from you. Uh, he doesn't wanna hear there's any problems with any of his right. priests. You know, I've, I've, I've been to a bishop on occasion talking about problems like this. And I have had a bishop tell me, well, it's either a bad priest or no priest. And I, I would say, well, better no priest than a bad priest. As bad priests lead people in the wrong direction, at least the, with no priest, you can kind of combine them with a parish that's really has a good, solid pastor or something like that. And then, depending on the circumstances, you could even go further. If the bishop doesn't pay attention or ignores it and you really feel like there's a real problem there, you can appeal to the papal nuncio in Washington, D.C. Although, quite honestly, these days, that
1: wouldn't do you any good. Yeah, right. And then we can pray, we right. can fast, yeah. we can raise our children... We can find other brothers and sisters right. in the Lord who are also feel this way. And I think there is a way with which a lot of, of the leaders of the church do pay attention to the groundswells of what the people of God are mm-hmm. calling for. Yeah. And when the people of God are silent, that is often received as tacit approval for whatever is going on. Right. It's not always the case, but a lot of times if, if, the, if the priests aren't hearing anything, the bishops aren't hearing anything, they're probably just thinking, well, everybody's okay, yeah, you know, right, go right. along to get along type right, of thing. And right, right. and I love how you said, though, it starts with humility and really seeking to understand because it's, instead of coming in there on a white horse, yeah. uh, the priests are just going to be far more likely to receive yeah. that.
2: Yeah, and, and and you may be ignorant. You, you may be jumping to conclusions, you, right. you know, that yeah. type of thing. Um, but then people also have the question, should I stay in the parish or should I go to another parish? Mm. You know, and... So that's just something you need to ask the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom about, whether you feel like staying there, you can be a positive influence, you can be a witness, you can help other people, or whether staying there would be a danger to your children who are hearing this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and that, that isn't right, and whether you should go to another parish where there's more sound teaching and more support for the true faith, you know.
1: Good stuff. This was fun. Uh, Last time, we invited all of you who were watching to put questions for Ralph in the comments. We didn't get a whole lot of questions, so I'm just going to reiterate it. I I like asking the questions. I'm perfectly capable of coming up with them myself. But we'd love to know what's on your heart, what's on your mind, what are the things that you'd love to hear Ralph's perspective on. Please put them in the comments, or you can email us. Go to RenewalMinistries.net to just get more information about the ministry and to connect with us in that way. But uh, this was fun. I'm sure we'll do it again. And uh, thank you all for joining us.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Renewal Ministries, part of the Renewal Podcast Network. If you are enjoying this podcast, we invite you to help us spread the word by leaving us a rating or review, following or subscribing to this podcast or sharing on social media. Until next time, this is Right Now with Ralph Martin.